0: Good morning church family. So yeah, like Adam said, uh, this is likely my last time addressing you guys like this um, before I head out to New York City. It's been a blessed time here, three great years, learned a lot. Um, even somebody that I uh, uh, was talking to yesterday, they met me like maybe four years ago, five years ago, and were like, yeah, I didn't, I didn't know that God was calling you to that, you know, and, and I didn't know that you were at this level where you're about to enter into a residency program in Brooklyn. And I'm like, yeah, God did a lot the past three years. So He's matured us a lot, and I praise God for everything that He's done for us. In the process, you know, as as I think about what it means to plant the church and what it means to be a missionary, um, I'm, I've been considering more what people think about Christianity itself, because when everybody looks at us as Christ's followers, they have already the, they download an opinion of who we are, right? They have their misconceptions, have some things are right, some things are wrong, but they have an opinion about us as a people, right? And so I like to get into their minds and think and consider. So I've been exposing myself more and more uh, to their thinking, to people who, that are not Christian, the secular world out there, or even other faiths, and into their thinking about what their opinion of us is so that we can meet that head on and maybe dispel some of the misconceptions, right? Or or maybe like uh, tweak a little bit of of their thought process to consider certain things about our faith that might help them come to Christ as we share the gospel with them. Uh, So one of the things that I ran into recently was this this debate on a website called idebate.com. All right, and on this website, there was one debate on there, so people would debate about different things. And one of the premises was this, this house believes that religion does more harm than good. And we see an example this morning, waking up to the news of so many people dead in the name of of, of religion. It seems, at at least at at the onset, an act of terrorism. People have that as one of their top bullets. It's like, yeah, religion, bad. What are we gonna do about those type of things? What as the Christian faith are we supposed to be doing? As God's people, what are we supposed to be doing? What has God called us to be, not just do, but actually be, think, the way we act, the way we speak. What is God calling us to? This sermon was, as I'm, as I'm putting it together, as I'm reading Isaiah chapter 58, um, it was convicting to me, because I think it highlights one of the things that um, is a weakness of mine, as far as like generosity. Uh, and I'm, I'm glad that the, the, the British church, the church that I'm, gonna be doing, uh, that I'm gonna be doing a residency at, excels at generosity. That's one of the reasons I wanted to go there. They're so good at reaching out into the community and doing different things for the homeless, et cetera. And I just, I, I, I desire to learn from that greatly because I know I'm gonna need it, especially in a place like New York City where there's so much hurt, uh, so much darkness, so much pain. Uh, and so this is one of the, the things that I saw on this website. So people come and they debate and they put their premise, you know, they, they answer the, the premise, right? You know, does religion does, do more bad uh, than good? And they put their, answers in in favor of that remark or against that remark. And I found that they polled some people, and I don't know how many people exactly uh, were on this thing. The debate lasted about two years, so from the year 2011 to 2013, people had been responding. And so before the debate, they polled people, and it said 35% of them were strongly in favor of the premise. So they believed that religion does more bad than good, more harm than good. Afterwards, after I guess it closed or the debate ended or whatever, or the last poll that they took, it says that 70% of them were strongly in favor of the premise. So it went from 35% to, 75, to 70% believing that religion does more harm than good. So these are the, their usual reasons, right? And we've heard some of these as, as to why religion is bad in the world, right? Religion divides. Religion leads to war and violence. Perfect example of that this morning. Here's another perfect example. Religions persecute non-believers. We're seeing that as well. And we've seen that in the Christian faith over our history. Uh, if, if you wanna learn more about that, I encourage you to, to study up on Christian history. It's fascinating what, what things have been done in the name of Christ. Some very good, some not so good. So here is the top reason, though, why they think, why people were arguing in favor of religion. That religion doesn't cause more harm than good that it is beneficial to the world. Quote, religious organizations are by far the largest providers of charity in the world. Here's another quote. Whether sending food food support in famine zones, providing education, hospices, or a vast range of other charitable activities, religious organizations are streets ahead. So they're giving religion credit for being generous in the world for having a history of being society changers for the good in this regard and helping those in need and being generous and i was like boom that that i gotta i gotta get that in the sermon i just thought that was such a revealing stat people that are non-christian people that are of other religions or, or that don't agree that they, they want to abolish religion like, like Richard Dawkins altogether, they see that there is some benefit in this regard for us existing, for the religion, the, 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 whether it be Christianity, um, Islam, whatever, those Christian, those religions that are doing good and positive things in the world, this is where they sell at. So for us as Christians, when they see us doing our best, when they're like, yeah, they're on point right there, is when we're being generous people. That's how people see us. Yes, there's gonna be um, differences when it comes to the gospel, right? Like people are gonna be offended, people are gonna respond to it, uh, whether positively or negatively. But overall, when they look at us and they see us as a whole body, they, they, when they see and measure our health and they see us doing generous things in the earth, that's when they're saying, yeah, this is, this is needed. Let's, let's bring it on, let's come to the table. Come and, and we welcome you, we embrace you, you're helpful. When they see us being generous in the world. The implications of chapter 58 of the book of Isaiah are huge. There are a lot of things that we need to consider and man, there, there are so many things that just pierce the heart in this chapter. But the good thing is that God, just, he doesn't just leave us there. He's kind of stumbling and holding our hearts like that. He gives us the relief. He gives us like, okay, this is where you are Come over here and do this, and then let me show you what I'm going to do in the world because of your obedience. So that's what we're going to do this morning. Y'all ready? All right, alternate, y'all ready? Cool. All right, so turn to Isaiah chapter 58, and we're going to go through the first five verses. So here, I'm going to read first, and then then I'm going to pray, but I want to take note that God starts with our current status, or the status of Israel at that time. Let me read this chapter. So he says, cry aloud, this is God speaking to Isaiah, cry aloud, don't hold back, lift up your voice like a trumpet, declare to my people their transgression, to the house of Jacob their sins. Yet they seek me daily and delight to know my ways, as if they were a nation that did righteousness and did not forsake the judgment of their God. They ask me righteous judgments, they delight to draw near to God. Why have we fasted, and you not see it? Why have we stumbled, and you take no knowledge of it? Behold, in the day of your fast, you seek your own pleasure and oppress all your workers. Behold, you only fast to quarrel and to fight and to hit with a wicked fist. Fasting like yours this day will not make your voice be heard on high. Is such a fast that I choose a day for a person to humble himself? Is it to bow down his head like a reed and to spread sackcloth and ashes under him? Will you call this a fast and a day acceptable to the Lord? Is not the fast that I choose to loose the bonds of wickedness, to undo the straps of the yoke, to let the press go free and to break every yoke? Is it not to share your bread with the hungry and to bring the homeless poor into your house when you see the naked to cover him? the pointing of the finger and speaking wickedness, if you pour yourself out for the hungry and satisfy the desire of the afflicted, then shall your light rise in the darkness and your gloom be as the noonday. And the Lord will guide you continually and satisfy your desire in scorched places and make your bones strong. And you shall be like a watered garden, like a spring of water whose waters do not fail. And your ancient ruins shall be rebuilt and shall rise up, shall raise up in the foundations of many generations. You shall be called the repairer of the breach, the restorer of streets to dwell in. If you turn back your foot from the Sabbath, from doing your own pleasure on my holy day, and call the Sabbath a delight and the holy day of the Lord honorable, if you honor it not going your own ways or seeking your own pleasure or talking idly, then you shall take the light in the Lord and I will make you ride on the heights of the earth. I will feed you with the heritage of Jacob, your father, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. Our God and King Yahweh, we just love you so much. We praise your name. Lord God, there are things in this chapter that will challenge us, Lord God, and I pray that we not hide from that challenge, but that we embrace it, Lord God, because there is much at stake. I pray, Lord God, that we be your people, that we constantly are in a state of repentance of those things that are not like you, God. Help us, Lord God, to be transformed by your word, by your spirit. As we read, Lord God, give us the ability to understand and give us the earnestness to apply and to live in the way that you called us to live as your people. For when we do that, Lord God, there is no limit to how how much good you can do on this earth and how much you can remind people of your kingdom, your great and glorious kingdom. Help us, Lord God, to listen and to obey, Lord God, and use me, Lord God, just to speak your words of truth to our people today. Father, thank you for the word you've done in my heart. Father, continue to train and equip me, and I pray, Lord, in Jesus' name, that you collectively, Lord, just help us all to be more like Christ as a result of hearing your word this morning. In Jesus Christ's name I pray, amen. Cool, so we find ourselves in verses one through five initially, and the first thing that I want you to remember is those first words that he says to Isaiah. He's like, cry aloud! Don't hold back, lift up your voice like a trumpet. Is he being serious? Yeah, he's like, people need to be shaken up. It's not just like, hey, declare to these people. It's like cry aloud, be loud, stir them, wake them up. Sometimes we need that, right? Look at what he talks about right after that in verse five, uh, in verse two. He talks about they seeking me daily. They delight to know my ways. As if they were a nation that did righteousness and did not forsake the judgment of their God. So he's like, they're going about their business and their religious activity as if, as if we're cool. As if nothing's wrong, as if they're obe- uh, being obedient to me. They're, 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 they're blind right now. They need to be stirred up. They need to be shaken. They need to be awakened from their slumber. And so he's like, be loud like a trumpet. Stir them up, wake them up. He doesn't want them to remain sleeping. Sometimes, somehow the people of Israel at this point had brought themselves to a point where they, they're, they're at a place of complacency. Sometimes we do that. Sometimes I do that, often, where it's just we're going through the motion and we believe that we went to church, we went to a small group, we read our Bibles a couple times <laughs> during the week, we prayed when it was convenient. Um, we're Christians, we're good. Just think about how God perceives that, how He processes that. When we give Him bare minimum, when, he give, when we give Him ritual, when we give Him religion, and we're satisfied with that, there's so much more, right, than just those things that I just mentioned, right? There, there's a, an adoration, there's a, a, a life of worship to be lived, right? He doesn't want us to stay there. So I love it that, like Adam said last week, God gives us sometimes a sharp, and, and generous rebuke. He's generous with his rebukes. He, he doesn't want us to stay in the same place. He doesn't want us to be average people. He wants us to be his own people, called by his name and on his mission on the earth. So look at verse three with me, because now it kind of shifts to like, there's evidence there that God is not as impressed with them as they are with themselves. They're clueless. They say, why have we fasted and you, and you not see it? Like, why have we humbled ourselves and you don't take notice of it? Like, God, we're doing, we're doing our thing, what's up? Why, why aren't you answering our prayer? Like, what, what's going on? You're not answering our fast. Fasting, of course, is when we deny ourselves, when we seek God on a deeper level, when we really urgently want him to move in our lives and, and, and in our hearts. And so we're asking God for something, we're fasting, we're meditating on him, we wanna grow, we wanna be strengthened by the Holy Spirit, and so we deny ourselves of whatever that may be. Most people do food, but we're we're trying to grow, we're trying to grow into a deeper level. We, We want God to hear us in heaven about a particular subject, a particular topic. And they're like, you're not answering God, what's up? We're like, we're on point, our list is spotless, like we're doing all the things that you called us to do. They're confused. They're actually charging God with an injustice. They're actually calling God uh, unfaithful. They're like, God, you haven't, we've done our part, do yours, what's up? Clueless. That's why God has to shake them. Look at verse three. Right in the middle of that same verse. It's almost like God cussed them off a little bit. He does a Kanye of them, like, hold on, I'm gonna let you finish, but first, let me, let me, let me tell you a couple things. God says, behold, in the day of your fast, you seek your own pleasure. So right, now, right there, like mouths are silenced. Mouths are silenced. You're seeking your own pleasure. It's an unsacrificial fast. It's a fast in which there's no self-denial. A big part about fasting is that at the end of fasting, you look more like Christ, right? It's not just God like, all right, I'm gonna just go hungry for a minute so that you can give me this stuff. At the end, God wants our heart. God just, he's not going to accept some ritual that, that we just go through uh, kind of like a, like a slot machine and we put our quarters in and then God, booms ge- gives us what we, what we want. It's not, it's not the, a bubblegum machine. Right, at the end, God wants us to draw near to him, to be more like Christ. So he, cont- he starts going in and pointing out these things. Look what he says at, at, uh, at verse three. So he, he points out that they're seeking their own pleasure. He's talking about you oppress all your workers, speaking to evidence that they're wealthy. They have people that are working under them. There's some level of responsibility that they have over others, and they're oppressing, so we see that they're self-righteous and they're not dealing well with people that are in their care. Look at verse four, and I'll relate it back to verse three again. You fast only to quarrel and to fight and to hit with a wicked fist. Look at verse nine, because I think it's, it just goes so beautifully with verse four that I had to skip down a couple verses and then I'll jump right back. It says that they were pointing fingers. It says, if you take away the yoke from your midst, the pointing of the finger and speaking wickedness, then he says he's gonna change some things. So those two verses relate to me because it's talking about he, they're oppressing the workers, they're fighting, they're pointing fingers, And from this we can gather that their self-righteousness is not working. They're causing strife by their mere attitude about themselves, and they're pointing fingers at other people so that they're, they're on this high hill and they're annoying people and causing conflict by saying, look at you. Like, look at me, I'm up here, look at you down there. And they're oppressing their own workers, and it's causing strife. So their religion right now is not looking too good. Sometimes we can be like this, right? Or well, we're on our high horse, and we think, oh, we're Christians. We got it right. And, oh, those people over there. But forgetting that if not for God's grace, we would have been those people over there. Amen? We got to continually look internally. And we, so we, we dog dogpile sometimes, too. And I've done this, I've done this, I've done this, I've done this. Where somebody's struggling, right? They've committed crazy amounts of mistakes. They've sinned and they're living their lives their own way, and then they come to you for help, and you're like, "Swear, well, if you hadn't done this, if you hadn't done that, and we pile on the list. Like, they're already broken and hurting, and they're coming to you, and then you pile on the list of the, the mistakes that they've made that they already know about instead of coming with the healing, instead of coming with the compassion, instead of coming with the love. We do that all the time. This is the religion that God is telling us to steer away from, that type of religion that type of just attitude about ourselves. Verse four to five. So he says, fasting like this, fasting like yours, this day will not make your verse, voices heard on high. So we know that scriptures like in James, it says the fervent prayer of a righteous man are powerful and effective, right? So if you're not, if you're not righteous, there's an effect that it has on your prayer life. We've heard that throughout the Bible, God will close his ears to you if you're not right with him. If there's unrepentant sin, if there's anything that is just uh, an attitude of the heart, God will close his ears to our prayer. He will not be as readily willing to answer our prayer. And that's exactly where they find themselves this day. So in verse five, he kind of gives them like a, seriously? Look, it says, such." The fast that I choose, a day for a person to humble humble himself, to bow down his head like a reed, to spread sackcloth and ashes, which, which were a sign of remorse and repentance. Will you call this a fast? Will you call this a fast? And a day acceptable to the Lord? Of course, the answer is no. That's not what he's calling us to be. I'm glad he doesn't leave it there. He calls us to regain our call to generosity. So these people are being self-righteous and look what he brings to the table. He's like, this is the fast that I call and he brings in this topic of generosity in such a strong, beautiful way. And I love it that even though he's speaking to Israel through the prophet Isaiah, it totally applies for today in powerful, amazing ways. He's like, is this not the fast that I choose? Starting in verse six. To loosen the bonds of the wicked, to undo the straps of the yoke. Let's talk about that for a little bit. The bonds of the wicked. Is there evil choking out this county and the world abroad? Yes, there's evil, right? We should do something about that. We should constantly be doing something about that. If we're God's agents on this world, we should constantly be acting on behalf of the Lord as his hand sweeps across the globe to display his glory and counteract Satan and his traps and his system, and the damage that he's done, and the damage that sin has done, and the damage that fallen men have committed on this earth. We should constantly be working to counteract that. So he gives us steps. And he wants us to visualize it in our hearts first. He's like, undo the straps of the yoke. So think about a yoke like an ox having a yoke around its neck. It's a burden. It's, it's heavy. So the things that are oppressing people, the things that are burdens on people, weighing people down in their daily living, we should be right there at their side as the body of Christ, counteracting them, bringing the healing. And I'll get into why that's so beautiful in a minute. Breaking is to let the oppressed go free. Are there oppressed people on this earth? Yes, absolutely. There are people being traded in the, in the sex slave trade. There are people that are being discriminated against left and right in, in various forms across nations. We should counteract those things. We should let the oppressed go free. That's why I love it. It says, it's kind of saying we should participate in social justice. And I know sometimes Christians shy away from that because they're like, well, we don't want to get political. We don't want to be Jesse Jackson with it. No, no, no. There's a, there's a right way to do it. There's a right way to serve people, be gospel-centered at the same time, and bring the kingdom of God into their world and give them a foretaste, as I'm gonna mention in a little bit. So what are some examples? It also talks about breaking every yoke. So not only relieve people of their burdens, but the burdens themselves attack, attack the burdens themselves. Bring the goodness of God to those burdens, and be a healing on this earth. We have to be active, active in our communities and in this nation, but not lose sight of who we are, amen? So here's some examples like abortion, and I've seen people do this. People, families adopt. When a woman wants to abort a child, no, 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 we'll take the baby. We'll pay for the expenses of the birth. Don't do that. Don't harm that child. We do that helping struggling single parents, things that we can do, very practical things. Counseling couples who are trying to decide what to do. Maybe there's a a pregnancy out of wedlock. Bringing the light of the word of God to that situation and bringing love and compassion would go such a long way to remedying the rates of abortion in our country and, and across the globe. Legalizing, look at the example of legalized employment discrimination, right? So even in our our very church, our friend Max, because he has this trial pending, has not been able to get work up until recently. Because if you have a record or or if there's something pending, he's not even convicted of any last thing. All of a sudden, there's a, a million jobs that you can't have. There's a lot of communities where that's the case, and even people coming out of jail, they can't find work, and so guess what they do? They go back to the crimes that they were committed, that they were committing before, and they end up right back in the jail system. It's like a vicious cycle. What are we gonna do as a church to help that? How are we gonna educate and find employment for people? How can we create opportunities, right? It can sound like like we're, we're, we're steering away from the gospel, it can sound like we're steering, but God wants to remind us of that right now, today, through Isaiah 58. The oppressed need to be set free. We need to break every yoke, and that's a part of it. Look at stuff like underfunded schools, right? How can we create at school programs as a church, right? How can we bless teachers with more resources? How can we go in and help when the schools are failing as a church? We can do that. And obviously, it's always gonna be an opportunity to bring the true and the greatest message of God, which is the, gl- the, glorious, the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ. It's an opportunity to show people the kingdom of God. Verse seven, he talks about is it not to share your bread with the hungry and to bring homeless, the homeless poor into your house? Whoa, into my house? Are you, are you serious? It's hard, isn't it? And for those of us that have dealt with people in need, even from my short experience at the mission, man, it's, it can be tough. But are we to just shun them because it's too hard? Aren't we called to be people that deny ourselves to follow Christ? Didn't Christ himself always make sacrifices to put up with our dirt? Doesn't God this very moment, isn't he offering mercy and grace to us right now? And putting up with our nonsense? We should do the same for others. So it says not to hide yourself from your own flesh, realizing that people are made in the image of God. That by itself warrants us helping them. Mark chapter 14, verse seven, Jesus says that the poor are always gonna be with us. They're always gonna be here. Yes, it's hard, but what are we gonna do? Are we gonna give up? Or are we gonna be the body of Christ and be obedient? He is literally saying, bring even the homeless into your own houses. Tell you, I needed to hear this. I needed to hear this. <laughs> this is good stuff. This is the kingdom of God. So listen, this, is a, this was a, a big moment for me when I realized this. Every time that somebody sees you, a Christian, you should be bringing a foretaste of the kingdom of God. You are an ambassador of the kingdom of God as a Christian. We are the, we're the people that are crying, Lord, your kingdom come, your will be done. Right? We're the people that, that God, when Jesus said, when you pray, pray like this. So we should be trying to usher God's kingdom all the way to the very end until Jesus Christ returns. And so these are the ways that we can bring God's kingdom on earth. Look at Revelation chapter 21 verse four. When God finally sets his kingdom in his final state for, the, for eternity, when, he, when he's on the throne, the new heaven and the new earth are here and he's in charge completely, there's no more sin. Satan is done away with. It says he will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more, neither shall there be mourning, so no mourning, no crying, nor pain for the former things have passed away. So bringing in the kingdom of God relieves pain, crying, and mourning. What can we do? This is what the kingdom of God is like. What can we do to bring that kingdom from heaven down to earth as God's ambassadors here on this earth, on this planet? That's why we have churches that have started orphanages. That's why Christians founded the American Red Cross. That's why churches pioneered social work in a lot of ways. That's why we have countless hospitals. That's why we have educational establishments. My own university, my my alma mater, Syracuse University, was started by Methodists. We should be bringing God's kingdom down to, to, to earth as a way of worship towards him. It says then, read verse nine, that our prayers are gonna be answered eagerly. And I quote from verse nine. It says, you shall cry, and he will say, here I am. So that speaks to God's attentiveness. It's almost like you're praying the prayer, and he's like, yes, yes, yes. Like just, just picture that, like God's eager. He can't wait for you to finish that sentence so he can show you his power, and so he can be active on the earth after you prayed that prayer, so you can give him the, the credit, the glory, and the honor. When we're on point, when our hearts are right before him, when we're being generous, God's ears are attentive to us, to our prayer lives. Because then, our attitudes are in alignment with his attitudes. Our thinking is in alignment with his thinking, and our hearts are in alignment with his hearts. And so he, is, he can't wait for you to pray at that point. He's like, here I am, like, I- I'm ready. I'm ready to answer that prayer. I'm ready to hear you. So we have to remove the yoke and fight against judgmental attitudes in our own hearts. Then God will be more attentive to us. Look at verse 10. It says, if you pour out yourself for the hungry and satisfy the the desire of the afflicted. I love that it says pouring yourself out. Pouring yourself out. We, we mentioned before that it was difficult, right? Sometimes it's hard to deal with people with a lot of needs. And sometimes they can even try to take advantage of us. So we have to be wise and discerning, right? And many of us have experienced that, myself included. But that doesn't mean we stop. It says to continue to pour yourself out. Self denial. Yes, I see this, and I see even that they're trying to scheme and trying to get away with things and just want to hand out without trying to change their, their life patterns or anything. And sometimes our hearts can go, grow a little cold and calloused because we see that. But God says continually, pour yourselves out. Pour yourselves out. Does God stop pouring himself out and pouring out mercy on our lives? as undeserving as we are on a daily basis, even as believers, even as blood-washed followers of Christ, God still pours, pours out mercy onto us. It says at the end of verse 10, it says, "'Then shall your light rise from the darkness, "'and your gloom shall be as the noon day.'" Look at the imagery here. So we bring light into the darkness when we're generous. And the Lord, and and by the way, it's kind of like a a three-pronged thing, right? It's not only talking about money, it's talking about your time and your talents. So your time, talents, and treasures. We talk about that all the time here. It's your finances, it's your, your person being there, and also whatever abilities God has given you and gifted you with. And look, he continues on, it says, and the Lord will guide you. He will guide you continually. He will bless your life. He will continue to give you wisdom and knowledge. He will satisfy your desires in scorched places. Even when everybody else is going through a rut, when everybody else is going just through a messed up situation, even socially speaking, even like as the state of our nation changes and alters, what he says about you is that he will continue to satisfy your desires, Christian no matter what the condition is of your surroundings. And then look what he says. He he will make your bones strong. And he will make you like a watered garden. A watered garden is going to produce fruit. It's going to be thriving. It's going to be healthy. That's what he promises to you. And people will come to you. The more generous you are, people will come to you. But that's an opportunity for you to glorify the Lord of heaven and earth. That's an opportunity for you to be an ambassador for the kingdom that we want to usher down into heaven, for the kingdom that we long for, for the kingdom that we can't wait for the eternal state of. They're going to come to you because you bring that. That's an opportunity, is it not? So it's going to be like waters that don't fail, that continually, as God strengthens us, as we pour ourselves out, we're going to continually have the resources. And then look what it says about society. This is where it gets really, really good. It says, and your ancient ruins will be rebuilt, and you shall rise raise up from the foundations of many generations, and you shall be called the repairer of the breach. So when it says breach, it's talking about when the enemy breaks through whatever barrier there was in the city, that's called the breach. So wherever the enemy has come in, we can come in and we'll be known as the people that repair that breach. Whenever wickedness has come in, whenever just evil has come in, our responsibility as a church of God is to come in and be known as the people that repair it. I think society has lost that a little bit about us. I think we need to repair that image. We need to get on our knees before God and repent. Because we're not known, sometimes we're just known as the people that point the finger. We're known as the people that say that what they're doing is bad, bad people. But really, we should be ushering in the kingdom of God. When we do this, the church of God is known as the repairers of the breach. Where sin has come in and destroyed, we come and repair. We should be known by that. Look at the restoration that's abounding. This is a big part of how God wants us to impact the earth. And look at verses 13 and 14, because this is kind of like a little bit different than the rest of the passage. He starts talking about the Sabbath. We're talking about fasting, we're talking about generosity, and then he starts talking about the Sabbath. I'm like, okay, Lord, what are you, what are you, what are you trying to speak here? And I just wanna read that again. It says, if you turn back your foot from the Sabbath, so what that is talking about is like people that had been stomping on the Sabbath, like not listening to God about the Sabbath, if you turn your foot away, if you stop stomping on the Sabbath, stop trampling on it, stop treating it as just a random thing. And ultimately, when we're talking about the Sabbath, we're talking about worship. Like, are you gonna obey God? Are you gonna rest as God rested on that seventh day, as he's called you to rest like he's rested, as he's called you to be holy as he's holy? Are you gonna do that? He's talking about worship. Turn your foot from the Sabbath, from doing your own, your pleasure, on my holy day. Woo, that's a stab right here. When you do your thing, the things that you wanna do on my day. It's the Sabbath, my day. And listen, I'm not gonna get all bent out of shape about you have to, it has to be Sunday, like you can't do anything. Or some people say, oh, it's Saturday. Listen, have a Sabbath, have rest. Rest in the ultimate rest, which is in Christ. Have a time where you meditate on the goodness and the greatness of God, where you worship, where you have that personal time with the Lord. Make sure that you're resting from doing work, because, and I do this all the time, Nancy will tell you. Like sometimes I think that, that I just need to work 24 seven, like until I pass out. But that's saying to God that I don't trust him, that I don't trust that he, he'll take care of things if I'm not working 24 seven. We have to find our Sabbath rest especially in Christ. So it says, on my holy day, and call the Sabbath of delight. He wants us to call the Sabbath of delight. And the holy day of the Lord honorable. If you honor it, not going your own ways or seeking your own pleasure, talking or talking idly. So he's talking about sin. He's talking about, hey, let's be like Christ. Ultimately, what this is gonna be is, let's be like Christ. It says, then you shall take delight in the Lord which is the whole point of from the first place is that God just doesn't want empty rituals. He wants our hearts. He wants us to delight in him. And I will make you ride on the heights of the earth. And it is a ride, amen? For those of us that are really, that we know what it's like to obey God and see God work, and praise God, I'm gonna be seeing that a lot in New York City. I believe that. I can't wait. I cannot wait to see how he impacts people through our family. It's gonna be so exciting. It's gonna be so exciting. We're gonna be on cloud nine, even though it will be difficult. He called us to have a difficult life, by the way. Just, just throwing that in there. But it will be blessed because we're resting in him and we're watching him work. Even if it is receiving persecution and not doing anything about it in retaliation and seeing and, and being a witness in that way. He promised we will suffer, but it's for his glory. It says, then I will feed you the heritage of Jacob your father, and the mouth of the the Lord has spoken. For the mouth of the Lord has spoken. So ultimately, I want to summarize by saying the type of restoration that God is calling us to bring as generous people, as people that are denying of ourselves, as people that are pouring ourselves out, as people that consider God's ways above our ways first, and his heart, his generous heart, above our understanding, above our preferences. It's because ultimately it reflects the gospel. The gospel is the ultimate restorer of all things. The fact that we were separated from God, we were isolated because of sin, but God made a way for that, that bridge to be rebuilt between us and him. For the enmity, we were at war. We were rebels against a holy God. and He made a way to squash the beef by putting all of our sins and the things that we deserve, the punishment that we deserve on himself, coming down in human form. Jesus Christ, all of our sins being laid on his person and him being executed with the full wrath of the Father. We deserve that. But God made a way for us to avoid receiving his wrath. So it's either we go to hell because we continue in our rebellion because we continue to maybe even practice these false, empty religion practices and not repent and not give our hearts make our hearts bare before the Lord and lay them at his feet and say, I surrender. Either we suffer the consequences of not doing that or we gain what Jesus Christ earned by living perfectly. That's the glorious exchange. He lived perfectly as God walking amongst us in the flesh. He died on our behalf for our sin by embracing him as God, King, Savior, and Lord and repenting of our sins. We inherit what Jesus Christ earned by living perfectly and always being in obedience to the Father. It's a a lopsided deal, right? It's a lopsided deal. But that's the type of restoration and that's that's God pouring himself out and he's calling us to do the same as we are generous. As he was generous in, in giving us his son, that's the type of generosity that God calls us to. Not holding back. One commentator said this, it says the subject of this chapter is the habits of a religious people, the earnestness and re- irregularity of their religious performance, and he's, ta- he's definitely talking about performances versus the heart where they're at, contrasted with the neglect of their social relations. So there's something that should be external that isn't happening because the internal hasn't happened yet. The important internal working of the Holy Spirit and of repentance hasn't happened. And so what's external that's supposed to be happening is missing. That's what this chapter is about. So, RGBC, how do we look to the unsaved world? How do we look to our community? How do we look to Callaway? How do we look to Lexington Park? How do we look to Great Mills? How do we look? How do we look? Stop it. (laughs) How do we look? Do we look as those people that point the finger? Do we look at people that just bring the rules or we bring the rules to the table? Stop doing this and stop doing that and let's you know picket sign this and scream at you that or do we bring the truth of God with love and compassion at the same time bringing and ushering in the kingdom of God through service, through our generosity, through being the people that are set aside to represent God's heart on this earth? What are we known as in the community? It's an external call, but there has to be an inward movement. It has to be an inward change. Think of James 14, 7. It says, religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit the orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself abstained from the world. So yes, it is being holy. It, it is, that, that is worship, right? But part of the holiness that God is calling us to is to be generous, is to be an active force on this earth, is to bring the relief, is to repair the breaches where the enemy has come in and stolen, killed, and destroyed. That's our role on this earth. As God calls us to be his hands and feet, as he calls us to be the body of Christ serving under the head. Jesus Christ is the head, we're the body, we're the active force here on earth. So, some questions for you to consider. Could it be that you've fallen into this, just habitual practice, this habitual religious activity that you do? Are you there? Is all you're doing is that? And maybe you share the gospel with somebody and tell them how much of a sinner they are once in a while. Or are you being generous? Could it be, Maybe that some of you have lost sight of the gospel in your own lives. Have you forgotten how generous God has been been towards you? And do you need a reminder of that? Do you need to get on your knees before God and get in the word to constantly be reminded of who you are? There are a lot of people who make up reasons to not be generous, and I think, and I pray that right now, that even as I'm speaking these words, that God will stir that up in your hearts, whatever those reasons are. You know, I don't have the time, I don't have the money, I don't have, listen, there's always a way to be generous. What are the things that are hindering us? What are the things that are blocking us? What are the commitments that, where, where, where there are distractions in our lives from being generous and being God's agents in this county? Maybe there's a deeper issue. Maybe the issue is that you've never experienced God's generosity and his grace Maybe you're not born again. Maybe the Holy Spirit doesn't dwell inside of you, convicting you and convincing you of what God has spoken. I urge you, if that is you today, if you feel that you just don't even care, and please cry out to the Lord. Cry out to the Lord. Repent and believe the gospel of Christ. I think that's all the Lord had to say today. And I pray that we all, as a church, be God's true witnesses, that we really go out of our way. It's a pouring out, right? It's a self-denial. It's a, it is gonna be a sacrifice, not just when I have the time, not just our scraps. Let's be the church that God has called us to be at, as RGBC and really be a great witness for the kingdom of God. Lord Jesus, we just thank you so much, Father. Your Word is amazing and good. Father, you you pierce us, God. You pierce us in such a good way. Lord God, you continually call us to be like you. What an honor. What an honor. Thank you, Lord God, for convincing us of your truth. Thank you, God, that despite our own desires and our own tendencies, you move us, Lord God. You make us uncomfortable. You don't allow us to stay in the same place. Father, you draw us and draw us and draw us to yourself. Father, that this world may see and know that you are the Lord, that this world may know that you are the Lord. God, you are securely on your throne and I pray that you be on the throne of our hearts as we depart today, Lord God. Seal this message in our hearts. Help us, Lord God, to seek your face and to be those people that are generous. As you have been generous to us, help us to be generous to this dying world, Lord God. Save many through our witness. And I pray this in Jesus Christ's name.